inside of your worship folder when you came in. There was a little card in there as it relates to Summer of Sharing. This is an emphasis that we're doing this summer. And in Summer of Sharing, basically what we've done corporately as a church is we've tried to organize lots of opportunities for you to be on mission, both to the nations and to your neighbors as well. And so we've scheduled some prayer walks, we've scheduled some outreaches, some block parties, some mission trips. But the reality is also this, is that the church corporately should be organizing that, but we have to embrace that responsibility individually. And so uh, what this card is, we're putting the ball back in your court, so to speak. And so what we're encouraging you to do is to take this card and sometime throughout this summer of sharing, we're inviting you to share Christ's love in a practical way with your neighbors. And then you can leave this card just letting them know what you do. So you can cut their grass, you can bake them cookies, you can do whatever it is uh, that, that you may think would be encouragement to them in a way to show them Christ's love in a practical way, all right? And then as you do that, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm going to encourage you to uh, tag that and put that on our Facebook so we can celebrate together how we're on mission during this summer of sharing. So that is the challenge, all right? We're going to pass out one this whole summer, and so we're encouraging you to do something with this and to partner with us in our summer of sharing this year. A few years ago, uh, I had the privilege of attending a conference at the Billy Graham Training Center uh, known as The Cove, and the keynote speakers that week were two uh, guys, a father-son team, uh, Henry and Richard Blackaby. Now, many people are familiar with Henry Blackaby. Uh, Henry Blackaby authored one of probably the most popular uh, Bible studies ever written called Experiencing God. How many of you have ever heard of or went through Experiencing God? Yeah, lots of you, so very, very popular, so uh, Blackaby was the author of that. Now, most of the speaking was actually done by his son, uh, Richard Blackaby, because Henry now is in his mid-80s. He is physically uh, weak, and then his uh, thoughts don't come to him as quickly as they used to. And so, for the most part, uh, for him to be there and to participate, uh, how it went was his son would speak most of the time, and then he would uh, invite his father, Henry, up to the pulpit and would ask him some, uh, what seemed to me, some scripted questions, just two or three questions, uh, so that they would put him in the best position possible to answer clearly uh, in that time, then they would allow him to sit back down and rest for those short seasons of time. So uh, that's kind of how the whole uh, conference went. It was great. Now, I don't remember most of what uh, uh, Henry Blackaby had shared during that time. I don't remember most of the questions they had asked, but I do remember one question specifically that was asked, and here was the question that Richard Blackaby posed to his dad Henry Blackaby, he said, Dad, he said, has there ever been a season in your life where you went through a uh, period or a dry spell in your relationship with the Lord, a desert season, if you will? And despite his best years being behind him, uh, Dr. Henry Blackaby answered quickly and decisively, and here's what he said. Uh, He said, no. He said, I have never had a time like that. God is always willing to meet with us. Now, let me tell you why I remember that amongst all the things he said that weekend and why that was uh, so unique about that answer. Here's why I remember that. Because that uh, is foreign to most of us, myself included. I'd agree with the theology of his statement that God is always willing to meet with us. There's never an absence of God's desire to meet with us, to commune with us, to spend time with us. However, my own fleshing out of that has been inconsistent at best. I've had seasons uh, where it felt like my prayers were not getting any higher than the ceiling. Uh, I've had seasons where I had little appetite to pray. I've had seasons where I'm doing the right thing outwardly, uh, but it's not the overflow of heart affections 
inwardly. I've had times where I needed to hear from God, uh, but it felt like he was not hearing from me. I've had times where I've read my Bible and closed it up and had no idea what I just read or if I heard from God at all, right? Uh, I've had times where uh, it seemed like I battled unbelief and wondered, is there anybody out there on the other end of the line? Is there anybody out there? Well, that's uh, the, not only have I felt that way, that's also the title of the message this morning. So let me take your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever you're using, and turn with you to Psalm chapter 13 as we wrap up our summer school series this morning where the hopes has been we're growing in wisdom with God and with man. A few weeks ago, uh, we looked uh, at what to do when the bottom falls out. Uh, And in that passage, in this passage, uh, wisdom is being offered uh, on how to navigate those times where it feels like the bottom is falling out, like Psalm 3 talked about. And in response to that, you're doing what you should be doing, crying out to God. However, it seems as if your cry is falling on deaf ears. It seems that God is indifferent to your situation. So how do we wisely navigate that? And so let's look at the text and see this morning. Because while I agree with Dr. Blackaby that God is always willing to meet with us, my fleshing out of that truth has been inconsistent at best. And my guess is that some of you would resonate with that as well. So Psalm chapter 13, just six verses this morning. So let's pick up the text here uh, in verse one. Verse one just starts off right out of the gate. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, let me just, we're dropping in here in this psalm, so let me give you a little backstory of what's going on. In Psalm chapter 3, we talk about the bottom falling out. Uh, David the king there is fleeing the city because Absalom, his son, is trying to overthrow him. He's pursuing him, and David is fleeing there. Here in Psalm 13, David is on the run again, but this time it's not from Absalom. It's from King Saul who wanted to take his life. Uh, There's a point in the Old Testament where there's an incredible prophet uh, by the name of Samuel, and Samuel uh, told Saul at one point, he said, hey, you've not been a faithful king, you've been a little bit of a wicked king at times, and so as a result of that, uh, God is going to take away your authority as the king, and he's raising up a new king, and his name is going to be David. And listen to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 9, as a response to what Saul did when he heard that from the prophet Samuel. 1 Samuel 18, 9 says this, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. Jealousy consumed him 
And he was doing everything he could to make sure that God's prophecy would not be fulfilled. David would not be the king and Saul would not be removed from his throne of authority. And this went on for a long period of time. Uh, Saul pursuing uh, David and there's no shortage of David crying out for deliverance. But what there seems to be a shortage of in Psalm 13 is God's response or the absence of a response from God. In spite of David's repeated prayers, God seemed uh, unavailable or at the very least indifferent to the situation that he was experiencing. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been there? You ever been walking through a season where God has brought you to your knees and you've responded how you should respond when the bottom falls out? You've cried out to God in prayer over and over and over. You've petitioned God. You've made your needs known. But it seems as if there's no one on the other end of the line when you're calling on God. I've been there. And I get paid to be spiritual. My guess is, That many of you have been there as well. And some of you may even find yourself there this morning as David did here in Psalm 13. That's a discouraging place to be. But the good news is, is that the scriptures are sufficient to offer wisdom for all the struggles we face in the inner man. And so Psalm 13 is offering us wisdom for what to do when God seems silent. And so I want to walk you through this text this morning. Uh, when God seems silent, the first thing I want you to understand and embrace is simply this. Don't freak out. It's normal. It's normal to go through those seasons of where God seems silent. Let me just do a little survey in the room this morning. How many of you growing up had a nickname? Would you just raise your hand if you had a nickname? Yeah, lots of you, all right? So here's what I want you to do. If you raised your hand and had a nickname, I want you to turn and tell it to the person next to you, whatever it was. All right, would you just tell them that, whatever that nickname was growing up? Now, here's what I want you to do. Look up here. If you just heard something weird, raise your hand. Would you just do that, right? Some of you heard a nickname from someone else, and all of a sudden you're like, you know what? It all makes sense now, right? Like, I get it now. Well, here's the reality. Uh, I love that Psalm 13 is the Psalm of David. Here's why. Because David had some nicknames given to him by God. And two of those nicknames he's most known for is David was described as a man after God's own heart. David was described as the apple of God's eye. What a great nickname from God, right? You're the apple of my eye. I've never had anyone but Tasha tell me that, all right? And so here David is. He's got these incredible, endearing nicknames from God himself as a man after his own heart, as the apple of his eye. But yet here he is struggling. That the same God who, who labeled him with these terms and nicknames of endearment to describe their relationship is the same David in Psalm 13 who's saying, God, am I still the apple of your eye? God, do you still find me as a man after your own heart? Because I'm crying out and I don't hear anything on the other end of the line. Is there anybody out there? And so I love the fact that the Bible's honest that, that, that the people in the scripture are everyday people. And they walked through seasons where uh, they were flourishing spiritually and God was with them and walking with them in intimate relationship. And other times they were struggling spiritually. They were walking through dark nights of the soul. And so that's encouraging me because if a guy who has the nickname as the apple of God's eye struggled at times where God seemed distant, guess what? My struggle's not unique. That God works in the midst of those struggles. And it was common even to some of God's choice servants. David felt his 
enemy Saul was about to overtake him. And so out of the depths of his heart, David repeats four times in just six verses. How long? Uh, several commentaries that I read this week and other sermons that other guys preached and taught uh, actually titled this whole passage, uh, How Long, O Lord? And we could paraphrase those uh, four laments as, are you even listening? Is there anybody out there? If you're out there, uh, or do you even care? And so what happens when you go through a season of silence? You're going to battle unbelief. Now, do you know this? That even Christians battle unbelief. And I don't mean unbelief in the big sense that I'm not sure God even exists. I'm not sure that Christ is raised from the dead. The way that believers battle unbelief is this. I know that to be true, but I'm not sure that's going to play out true in my situation. And so even believers are going to battle seasons of unbelief. And so let me tell you based on the text here, two ways you're going to battle unbelief in a season of silence. Number one, you're going to wonder if God is going to provide practical help. God is not going to provide practical help is a common source of unbelief. Look at verse 1 again in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, let me just tell you something. I don't know everything there is to know about God, but here's what I do know with authority. God has never forgotten anything in his life. God's never walked out of the door and wondered where his cell phone was, like mine was at the Bridgewater Chili's all weekend. Amen? <laughs> God's never forgot anything. And yet David's saying, hey, hey God, have you, have you forgotten me? What else does he say there in verse 1? How long will you hide your face from me? Listen to what one commentator wrote regarding the specific words that David used here to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I quote, he said, No doubt the divine forgetting and hiding the face meant the withholding of practical help since in the Old Testament God's remembering and seeing are not states of consciousness but preludes to action. So, so here, let me make that as simple as I can. David was theologically aware that God is present, but he was wondering if God's going to show up in a real practical way to deliver him. And let me tell you the scenario I think most often puts us into that same struggle where we wonder, God, have you forgotten me? God, are you hiding your face from me? God, are you going to fail to act on my behalf? And what's going on here? Because you seem silent. Now, let me just tell you this, the most common scenario, I think we wrestle with those same thoughts that David expressed in Psalm 13.1. It's when this happened. It's when God's help seems delayed. It's those times where we believe theologically that God is able, but we cannot fathom why he's delayed. It seemed as if God had forgotten David, had hidden himself from him, and David's thought it's going to last forever. He had been on the run for a long period of time, at this point fleeing from Saul. He'd been crying out for the Lord to intervene for a long period of time. If you've read the Psalms, what was the question he asked over and over, four times in six verses, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, over and over and over. And my guess is that some of you have found yourself in similar situations or find yourself in the midst of one now. How long, O Lord? Until you show up in a practical way. How long, O oh Lord, do I have to battle this infertility? 
How long, O Lord, am I going to stay single? How long, O Lord, until you deliver me from this job? How long, O Lord, will I be tempted by this same sin over and over? How long, O Lord, until this cloud of depression is lifted from me? Most of us can relate to a comment by the New England preacher, Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks was known throughout his community as a very calm man, a very collected man. But one day he was clearly agitated and because that was so out of character. He was pacing the floor like a caged lion. And so a friend asked him, he said, what's the trouble? So out of character. And uh, Brooks replied, he said, the trouble is this. I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Have you ever been there? But just a quick review of scripture, we can clearly see God does not operate on the same timetable that we operate on. We think in terms of minutes and hours and days, and God thinks in terms of years and even of seasons. Think about some of these examples from scripture. Think about uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis. God wanted to raise him up to a position of influence in Egypt so that God could use him in a powerful way. And uh, so how did God get Joseph to that place? First off, he had him sold into slavery uh, by his brothers when he was a teenager. They shipped him off to a foreign land. And then while he was there, he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and so he was thrown into prison. And while he's in prison, the king, being a volatile person, uh, sent some other of his servants down into the prison. And while they're there, Joseph interpreted a dream on their behalf. And he said, hey, don't fret. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, You're going to be restored back into your position of leadership. And here's what Joseph said. He said, here's all that I ask, that when you get back to uh, gaining the king's ear, would you remember me as I languish here in prison, unfairly convicted? And the cupbearer assured him, he said, absolutely, of course I will. The next verse, Genesis chapter 41, verse 1, casually reads, Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Two years. Take the apostle Paul, God's great apostle of the Gentiles. There was so much work to be done for the Lord, so little time to do it was Paul's motto. Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go on to Spain and then preach the gospel to them. And so how did God get Paul to Rome where he could do that? He allowed him to be in prison on a false charge. The governor in Caesarea heard his case and knew he was innocent, because, but he kept him in prison anyway because he was corrupt. And he knew that Paul had some influential friends who might give him a bribe to spring Paul from prison. And so, Acts chapter 24, verse 27 reads this. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Two years. In this passage... David, when God told him, hey, I'm going to raise you up as the next great king of Israel, when God gave him that promise, he was a teenager at that time. Most scholars would agree that by the time Psalm 13 was written, David was probably in his mid to late 20s. And so this had been going on for years and years and years. And David just has come to a place, he says, How long, O Lord, why have you hidden your face from me? Have you forgotten me? But here's the reality. God was building maturity into those men as they learned to trust him. 
And while society makes every attempt to make our life easier and faster, God does not work on the same time schedule. In God's mind, nothing is wrong with waiting. Now my guess is some of you may be in the room this morning, you may be sitting next to someone who thinks there's a whole lot wrong with waiting. Am I right? But from God's perspective, God says, hey, while you're waiting, I'm working. And sometimes I'm working out circumstances so that in the end only I get the glory. And sometimes while you're waiting, I'm working on your heart because you're not ready for the assignment I want to place into your life. So I want to do something in your life in the midst of waiting. If you're listening, say amen. That miserable, uncomfortable, sometimes painful state of silence is one of God's most powerful tools to finally set us free from the idol of control. And sometimes God doesn't change your situation because in the meantime, in the midst of it, God is trying to change your heart. And so you may be waiting. God says, you may be waiting, but guess what? I'm working. I'm working It was true in the life of Abraham, it was true in the life of Joseph, it was true in the life of Moses, it was true in the life of David. Everything that happened in the meantime was to prepare them for the assignment that God was going to call them to do. And so often, God in the waiting is preparing my character to match the assignment. Let me just tell you a little story that's in my notes, this is totally free. When this church was being built, uh, I've lived in the area my whole life, Uh, Tosh and I would drive up and down the interstate. And I was 25 years old, so something like that. And we would drive up and down. I saw this church being built. And I used to tell her, I said, one day I'm going to be the pastor there. And she said, I think one day you will be on staff there. She said, I don't think you'll be the pastor. She said, maybe the women's director. I don't know, something like that. But She said, I would say in maintenance, but you can't build a birdhouse. So right? Do you realize all the while that God was working, growing me, so that at a divine point in time, that whatever skills, experience, and giftings God had been producing in me over 12 years of ministry were exact fit for the time of the needs of this church at that point in time. And had God called me here at 25, what a disaster, right? Now listen, I was the wisest 25-year-old I'd ever met. I do want to acknowledge that. In the way, <laughs> that's fair. In the waiting, God is working. And here's the second area of unbelief you're going to battle. And the second area is this: is that my anxious thoughts cannot be controlled while I'm waiting. Look at verse two, Psalm 13, verse two. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted? over me. In verse 1, David is looking around saying, God, have you hid your face from me? In verse 2, David is no longer looking around for the activity of God. David is looking inward and he does not find comfort or confidence. He finds trouble. He finds despair. He finds depression. He began to doubt everything in the dark that God had revealed in the light. David looked within, and he's battling unbelief. Now, let me just tell you how that often happens in our lives. Uh, One of the most discouraging thought patterns that happens when we're waiting, and it doesn't seem that God is working, and it seems we're crying out, and God isn't responding like we think he should respond if he's responding at all. Here is the common thought pattern you will struggle with that will build anxiety in your life. Here it is, all right? It's the idea that no one else has struggled 
as bad as I am, no one else has faced the challenges that I'm currently facing. No one else has walked through a season of silence from God like I'm walking through right now. That no one can comfort me, no one can encourage me, no one can counsel me because no one has walked through a season like I'm walking through right now. And so, of course, when I look within, I've got despair like David did in verse 2 because no one has walked through what I've walked through through. No one's waited as long as I've waited, is what David could have said. That's a discouraging thought, isn't it? That not only am I struggling, I'm struggling alone. Let me repeat a phrase that I've repeated several times in the last week, but because I want it to stick with you. And here's the phrase I want you to embrace this morning. Despite how you feel and the reality of how you feel, God's revelation is a higher authority than your emotions. Let me say that again because that was a good place for an amen and you missed it. God's revelation is a higher authority than my emotions. Let me say it one more time. God's revelation is a higher authority than my emotions. And here's what the revelation of God says when I'm battling the thought that no one has struggled, no one has been in a season of silence as long as I have, no one has faced a darker night of the soul than I'm currently walking through. Here's what the Bible says that is God's revelation when you feel that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, you should write that down, says this, There is no temptation that has overtaken you except that which is common to man. You see what he's saying? He's saying despite how you feel, the reality is that temptation that no one's ever walked through a darker night of the soul, that inner feeling, that inner thought process, all that anxiety you're wrestling with, he says that's common to every person who's ever walked the planet. Now, the particulars are different in every circumstance. He said that's a common struggle. That's a common struggle. And so having seasons where God seems distant is common. Listen, David, the apple of God's eye is crying out in Psalm 13, have you hidden your face from me? And some of, All throughout church history, some of God's most choice servants have battered what, battled what writers have called the dark night of the soul. And listen, if it happened to them, it's going to happen to you. Don't freak out. It's normal. It's all the part of the process of working out your own salvation in fear and trembling. It is normal. It's normal. Be confident that God is working while you're waiting. So, what do you do in the meantime while you're waiting? This passage teaches that while we're waiting, we can see it as an opportunity for spiritual growth. Now, if you're like me, most of the time what you, when you think of waiting, you don't think of it as an opportunity. You think of it as an obstacle, right? Like if this season of waiting were over, then I could just get on and do what God's called me to do. I could just get on and be the person that I think God wants me to be. And so we look at waiting as an obstacle, and God says, no, 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 it's an opportunity to grow spiritually. Now, you say, where do you find that at in the text? Verse 3 and 4. Let me read verses 3 and 4 and just see if you can pick out these opportunities for growth in verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, uh, consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. Lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Let those who trouble me rejoice 
when I am moved. And so uh, in those two verses, I, there are three opportunities to, to uh, produce spiritual growth in our lives. And so number one, it is a chance for us to grow in displaying God's glory. In verse 4, David doesn't say, uh, God, get me out of here because this has gone on too long. What does David say in verse 4? He says, God, deliver me, hear me. Why? Verse 4, lest my enemies say I've prevailed against him. You see what David's concerned about? He's saying, God, I want you to show up. I wonder if you've hidden your face from me. But ultimately, the reason I'm asking, Lord, is because this. If you don't show up in practical ways, verse 1, then the enemy is going to look and defame the name of my great God. And God, your glory will be diminished. Their testimony will increase and yours will decrease. And so here's what I want you to understand this morning. That in seasons of waiting, you have a magnified opportunity to display the glory of God. Here's why. Because when you're waiting, people are watching and they're wondering, is God who he, you said he's been when life has been good or is God only to be praised when life is easy? That's what David said. He said, God, if you don't show up, it's not about me. Yes, I'm struggling, but God, ultimately, your name is going to be defamed. Your glory is going to be diminished. People are going to think that evil wins in the end. Secondly, it's a chance for us to grow independent prayer. David was fearing for his life. Uh, look at verse 3. He says, consider and hear me, O my Lord, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. For the Hebrews, uh, the, when they use the phrase dim eyes in the Old Testament, that, that means that the life is going out on the inside. That means their vital signs are decreasing. And so when David says, hey God, uh, let my eyes be uh, brightened, don't give me dim eyes, what he's saying is this, God, you're going to have to bring me back from the, the point of death here. I don't, I don't know how long I can go on. And he says, Lord, I'm totally dependent on you. Here's what I want you to understand. When you're walking through a trial and it feels like it's sucking the very life out of you, that your eyes are getting dim like he described in that Hebrew thought, here's what I want you to understand and embrace this morning. That a trial is not God moving away from you. It is God moving towards you to teach you dependency. Write this phrase down. Desperation produces dependency. And dependency leads to intimacy. Desperation produces dependency, and dependency is a good thing. It leads to intimacy. In times of suffering, in times of seasons of walking through where it feels God is silent, that suffering removes all the props and all the comforts and strips everything away. And God says, I'm all you have, am I all you need in those times? And so also, it is a chance while we're waiting to grow in spiritual warfare. Commentator Derek Kidner writes this. He said, awareness of God in the enemy is virtually the hallmark of every psalm of David. The positive and negative charge which produced the driving force of his best years. The great professor, Dr. Howard Hendricks, said this. He said, when you're doing what Jesus Christ has called you to do, you can count on two things. He says, you will possess spiritual power because you have the presence of Christ and you'll experience opposition because the devil does not concentrate on secondary targets. And so when you're walking through a season of suffering and silence, guess what? It's time to learn how to engage in spiritual warfare. 
Ephesians chapter 6 is the great passage on spiritual warfare in the New Testament. And some of you are familiar with that passage. But did you realize this? That in that whole list of God's armor in Ephesians chapter 6, that in verse 17, were, were listed the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the only offensive weapon in our spiritual armor in all of Ephesians. Everything else is defensive. The shield of faith, all those things. Uh, the, the word of God is the only offensive weapon in our spiritual armor. So, so you know what that means? That listen, the greatest weapon you have at your disposal when the enemy comes against you and says, hey, God's not listening. God has forgotten you. God is hiding his face from you is the word of God. When Jesus was tempted in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, by Satan himself, how did he respond every single time when he was tempted? It is written. He says, I don't care what you're causing me to doubt. This is what God has declared to be true in the midst of my suffering. And what happens is this. The reason we challenge you to memorize Scripture is so that when feelings of despair and doubt begin to bubble up inside of you, when God seems silent, it's you can use the weight and authority of God's word to push down those emotions. You can build your life on his unchanging truth to steady your often changing emotions. You need to be reminded in those times of what he's already said when you're going through a season of silence. Here's the third thing I want you to see in this passage. The third thing God is doing when we're walking through a season of silence, is it allows past provision to dispel fear of the future. It allows past provision to dispel fear of the future. I'm really proud of that wording on the last point. I came up with that all my own. No help from a commentary. In Psalm 3, we talked about the bottom falling out as David is pursued by Absalom, his own son. And, and one of the steps we learned in Psalm 3 when it feels like the bottom is falling out is to meditate on the character of God. And during those times, uh, it would guard our minds. And so in Psalm uh, 3, 1 and 2, David was despondent. In Psalm chapter 3, verse 5, uh, David goes from being despondent to laying down in the wilderness, going sound asleep, despite the enemies around him increasing. Psalm 3, 6. And what we learned what happened in between Psalm 3, 1 and 2 and Psalm 3, 5 was in Psalm 3, 3 and 4, David said this. He said, but you, O Lord, you are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head, I've cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. And so he's reminding himself of the character of God. He's saying, I serve a God who is uh, omnipotent, all-powerful. He's saying, I serve a God who's omnipresent. I may be fleeing from the city, but God is still with me. So he's rehearsing in his mind the character of God. Now, there's a similar thing going on in Psalm 13, but a little different focus. In Psalm 13, he's not rehearsing the character of God like Psalm 3. Here in Psalm 13, he's focusing on the works of God. Look at verses 5 and 6. What does he say? Psalm 13, verse 5, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, here's what's interesting. 
From the beginning of Psalm 13 to the end, David's circumstances have not changed one bit. He's still hiding in caves. Saul's still pursuing. Saul's still on the throne. So what changed? David shifted his thoughts over to God's steadfast love that he had proven over and over and over again in his life. When we lift up the character of God, that's praise. That's what Psalm 3 is going on. When we thank God for his works, that's thanksgiving. Praising God for who he is, thanking God for what he's done. That's what's going on here in Psalm 13. In verse 6, go back and look at it. David says, I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. You know what David is engaging in? David's engaging in prophetic thanksgiving. I don't know how, I don't know if prophetic thanksgiving is even theologically accurate, but I like it, so we're going with it, all right? David's saying, hey, I'm already thanking God in the future because I know how he's dealt with me bountifully in the past. So here's a key question. When you're walking through a season of silence where you're crying out and God doesn't seem to be responding, here's a key question. Here's what David was deeply convinced of, so much that he could say that in verse 6 before he even saw the outcome. Here's a key question. When you're walking through that season, do I believe that God loves me? Do I believe that or not? I absolutely love what one Bible teacher said. I wish I could have come up with this on my own. Listen to what he said. He said, David chose to interpret his circumstances by God's love rather than interpret God's love by his circumstances. Is that not gold? I've always said that. I just thought things good. I wish I said that. Let me read that again. David chose to interpret his circumstances by God's love rather than to interpret God's love by his circumstances. Love is an action. And when we fail to believe that God is going to act or respond on our behalf, even when there's been a season of silence, what in fact we're doubting is God's love. Let me make this as simple as possible. When you're crying out and God still seems silent, here's the question you have to ask yourself. Has there ever been a time in my past where God has failed to prove his love to me in immeasurable ways? That's what you should ask yourself. Famous preacher Charles Spurgeon was walking through the English countryside with a friend and they came upon a barn with a weather vane. The top of the weather vane were the words, God is love. And Spurgeon remarked this was an inappropriate place for such a message because weather vanes are changeable, but God's love is constant. Spurgeon's friend disagreed. He said, you misunderstood the meaning. He said, the weather vane is stating the truth that no matter which way the wind blows, God is love. And so are you going to interpret God's love through your circumstances, or are you going to interpret your circumstances through God's love. That makes all the difference in the world. And I don't know if you're here and you're struggling, walking through a dark night of the soul. I, I don't know what you're struggling with, and I don't know how long you've been struggling, but here's what I do know, and I'm deeply convinced of. God loves you, and he is working while you are waiting. And the message of the cross reminds us that even in the darkest of days, God is at work accomplishing his purposes on your behalf. Verse 6, David 
says, God's going to produce a song in my heart. I don't know how, but God's going to, that's what he's, I don't know what song it is. If David were here, it would have been a hymn this morning, amen? And I don't know what song David was going to sing, but I think one that would have been fitting goes like this. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Would you bow your head this morning? If you're here this morning and you're walking through what you would describe as a dark night of the soul, if you're in a season where God seems silent despite your cries, and you just say, you know what, I desperately need to live out of what I know to be true as opposed to what feels like is true in this season of waiting. I desperately need to be convinced that while I'm waiting, God is working. I desperately need to be reminded that in this season of waiting, it's not an obstacle, it's an opportunity for me to grow. Because right now, I feel like the Lord is hiding his face from me. If that's you this morning, honest before God, I just want to pray specifically for you. That's all I want to do. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. Yeah, lots of you. Anybody else? Honest before God. That's me. Amen. Amen. Can I just pray for you this morning specifically? God, you have proven your love o'er and o'er, as the old hymn says. David proclaimed it in verse 6. You have dealt bountifully with him. You have dealt bountifully with us. And so God, as those who have acknowledged this morning, they're walking through a season where you seem distant and they're despair. God, help them to meditate on one truth. That despite what's going on around them, you love them deeply. That is the message of the cross. And God, help them to be so convinced of that truth this morning that they do not interpret God's love through their circumstances. They would interpret their circumstances through God's love. And God, help us to be reminded this week that no matter which way the wind blows, God is still love. And so God, sustain us in the season of waiting. Draw us near to you. Help us to be reminded of the words of the psalmist who said, In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And so God, even when it seems like you're not near to us, help us to draw near to you. Not because it's easy, but because of what we know to be true. God is love. And so God, comfort our hearts with that truth this week as we walk through a life 
that is, can change in an instant. Your love is constant. We're grateful for that. We're encouraged by that. Let us live out of that truth this week, no matter what comes our way. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, because we can. Amen.